0: There be a baptism today, actually, and there are going to be two baptisms today, coming up on 51 years since I went through that experience, experience. And, and let me just say, I've, a half a century has taught me that it's much smarter if you live in central Illinois to be baptized in August than in late December, because <laughs> it was cold and wet. If you would turn to the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Paul told the Galatians that as many as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ as though they were putting on the uniform of the army of the great King and uh, as as was previously stated, most of you know me well enough to know that a lot of times i I don't exactly say the right thing at the right time and one such occurrence happened a uh, uh, Like that not long ago when we were having dinner over at my son's. And we were reminiscing about the past. And I made this off-the-cuff, really stupid statement. Like, I'm so glad I don't have to start out now, you know, given the current climate of things. And I saw the look on my grandson's face. It was like, thanks for throwing us under the bus. Because he is starting out now. Maya is starting out now. This is the world that is, and Maya is starting out now. So, if I were to put a title on this lesson, I I hope I can uh, bring this out so that I don't turn into some quivering mass of jelly up here. But defer to love. Or let love be your default setting. I love the Theology Matters t shirts that some of you folks have. I've seen you wear them. And that's true, it does. It matters. It matters a lot. But it's not the identifying mark of one who has trusted Christ. But love is. Let's visit for just a moment before we get started in chapter 14. Let us just consider briefly in the previous chapter, verse 34, which reads a new commandment. I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. I wonder... As we think about the upper room and what was going on, there's so many dynamics going on in that upper room. What did those men think when Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you? What did they think? I wonder if any of their minds went back to Ecclesiastes, which makes a a big point of there's nothing new under the sun. But Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. What makes the commandment new? Love was nothing new to the law. One commentator, as I was reading about this verse, one commentator said, love was not new, but the practice of it would have been. And... That's certainly valid. But I submit to you that perhaps it is the presence of Jesus Himself. He makes the commandment new because He qualifies the new commandment by saying, As I have loved you. That's new. Those men had been reared up under the Mosaic law. And as part of that, they would repeat the, and I know I'm going to say this wrong, but it's the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The fact that Jesus is God does no violence to that scripture in Deuteronomy. It's just that at this juncture in human history, God has manifested himself to humanity in a way that humanity can understand. Theoretically, anyway. It was now possible for mere human beings to experience the very presence of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ. And not die. That daysman that Job so wished for was now a reality. One who could lay his hand upon both parties, who could touch us and not kill us, and who could touch God and not die. He brought us together, and now he says, Love one another. Like I've loved you. And that's important going forward. It's important as you've put on that uniform of service in the army of the great king to remember love. How does that look? Is the hardest thing a believer is called to do, is the hardest thing to live out a life that reflects the grace that saved us to others and to walk acceptably before God in this world? Is is that the hardest thing we can do? I think it's hard. I've been struggling with it now for a long time. But how it looks is what we see Jesus do and what we hear Jesus speak. That's what it looks like. Let not your heart be troubled, he begins this chapter by saying. In the previous chapter, Jesus' heart himself was troubled. He was, he was disquieted, he was unsettled, he was upset that one of his closest friends was going to stab him, as it were, in the back, and it bothered him, and I appreciate that he just didn't say, well, this is according to scripture, it surely was, but it hurt him, It bothered him. Even in the garden he reaches out to Judas in friendship. That's fulfillment of his new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. He is facing now the worst night anybody's ever had he knows all that he's got these men and they are going to be the nucleus of the kernel of the church that is going to evangelize the whole world and if I may say it they're not ready they're not ready He knows they're not ready. They've been arguing one with another. Even at this late date. Who is going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the Secretary of State in the Messiah's New Kingdom. I'm going to be the Secretary of Defense in the Messiah's New Kingdom. And I'm going to sit on one side of him in the cabinet meetings and I'm going to rule over you, and you are going to report to me. And Jesus knows this is going on. At one point, he takes a little child and he sets him down. He said, You want to be great? Be like this little child. You want to be great? Be everyone's servant. Those words did not seem to register in their minds. And then, desperate times, people say, calls for desperate measures. Then, At the supper, Jesus gets up, and he takes a towel, and he wraps it around himself, and he begins to assume the most menial slave position that there is. He takes the spot, he takes the lowest place to teach them, love one another as I have loved you. What would have gone through their minds when they saw this? I notice, as we casually read through that account in John 13, no one of them got up and said, Lord, I've got this. Lord, you you should not be doing it. Sit down, let me. Let me be everyone's servant. No one did that. How could they and still maintain their leverage over some supposed position in the Messiah's kingdom? They watched him do it. Even though he had so much to endure. His heart is on them. His mind Is on them. Don't let your heart be troubled. I would say, and my opinion is worth nothing as you know, but I would say that these men's futures were very little like they had maybe pictured. You believe in God, believe also in me. The English words believe and faith have the same root in the Greek. And it means to have trust, to have confidence, to invest in. You have invested in God. You believe in God. In the same way, believe in me, just like you believe in God. He says in verse 2, In my house, my father's house, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Did they miss here the Lord's words that indicate that they are going to have a dwelling place with God of very gods forever? Is there any better news for sinners like us than there's places? For us in his presence forever we have a place if we have believed in God and also believed in him Jesus Christ we have a place with him and he says if I go and prepare a place for you I will Come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ, it is commonly acknowledged or at least admitted that he did in fact live on this planet for a relatively short time. He was here. But he's coming back. Have you ever allowed your imaginations to run with that a little bit? What in the world is it going to look like? When the God-man steps from his current position of at the right hand of his father, when he steps up from there, When he rises from there. When he's given that green light as it were. What is that going to look like? Every eye is going to see him. We shall see him. He's coming again. Does that sound too good to be true? It is the fact. He will come. He will come again to this earth. And at some point, those 11 men who were dazed and confused at this juncture, and all who have trusted and invested and have had confidence and you know, like the Psalms put it, have made them have made him their hiding place, their surety, their, their strong tower, their refuge. All of those are going to be assembled together in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't go right now. But in verse 4, he says, and whither I go, you know. You know where I'm going. And you know the way. Jesus The writer of Hebrews calls him the captain. He is the trailblazer. He is the pioneer. We can go because he went first. He will not call us to go where he has not been. He has made his way to his Father by his own blood. And because of that, and because we share a part of him, and two people are going to testify to that today, the things that Christ said, I am sharing in that. I declare my faith in him by this act. When we partake of his table, we are saying, this is his work, I share in that. I share a part of him. I have consumed the body, I have drank the cup, it's a part of me. This is testimony to that. We can go because he went. Thomas assumes the spokesman position for the group and he says in verse 5, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know it? This is not playing out like I thought it would. Somebody wrote about this passage of Scripture. He said, these men's minds were focused on the here and now. I think that's a valid point. You fast forward... Some 40 days from now. And what are they saying? Lord, will you now? Huh? Now? Now that you've been crucified? Now that you've been resurrected? Now that you've ascended to your Father? Now? Now is the kingdom? It's not for you to know that. You go and do what I told you. And don't forget love. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. One of those emphatic first person singulars of the book of John. I am. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. I am the way. He is the road. There's one road that ends in heaven, and he is that road. That way. First century believers were said to be of that way. When Saul of Tarsus wanted to arrest people for believing in Jesus, it says in Acts 9 and verse 2, And desired of him letters to Damascus. To the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He is the way, He is the door, He is the gate. If we are to ever find any rest and pasture, it's through Him, it is by Him. I am the truth. He says, I am the truth without any mixture of error, entirely true, impeccable. I am the life. When his friend Lazarus died, and he didn't hurry to his sickbed, and he waited until he'd been dead for a while, And Martha, bless, bless her heart, she had put aside the pots of pans for a moment. And she said to him, have you been here? My brother would still be with us. John began this book by stating in John 1, four, in him was life. The life was the light of men. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I know that my brother will rise again in the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that believes in him has eternal life. Can someone tell me when does that end? If you had known me, if you really understood me, If you'd have got it, so often these men didn't get it. And I do not say that is any criticism to them because if there's one thing I've learned over the last half a century is that I I just don't get it. When I read the Psalms and I read, surely I am more brutish than any man I can identify with that. If you'd have known me, if you'd understood me, you should have known. My father also. Henceforth, you know him, you have seen him. You have seen him in me. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us all we want is to show us the Father we want to see the Father you show us the Father and that's good enough for us that's all we want what was he looking for when Philip asked this question Did he want to see as those elders did so long before in Exodus chapter 24 where it says, And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven and his clearness. Is that what Philip wanted to see? Did he want some sort of encounter like Abraham had? Did he want like Samson's parents to have that theophany or Christophany as the theologians say is that what Philip wanted whatever Philip wanted he hadn't seen it yet at least he hadn't thought so earlier Jesus' heart was troubled by the fact that his familiar friend you know with whom he had broke bread, was going to betray him. His heart was troubled, and now it's troubled again. In verse 9, he said, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me? Philip. Philip. There was a day where they were on a little boat and it got caught up in this terrible storm, insomuch that they were afraid for their lives. Now, these men were not unfamiliar with storms, they were not unfamiliar with boats. But this particular day, they were scared. And they said something to Jesus like, don't you care that we're dying? (laughs) The fact he was there proves that he did. But he got up. And he spoke to the elements. Try speaking to the elements sometimes. See how far you get. And he said, peace be still. Literally, they say, be muzzled. More colloquially, shut up. And it did. Try it sometime. And then, they looked at one another and they said, What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obeys him. You believe in God. Believe also in me. They were learning, but they had far to go. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, Philip. How do you say, then, show us the Father? God is a spirit, he told this woman in Samaria. He's a spirit. Someone has said, if we could hold up a mirror to this immortal, invisible, God-only wise spirit, and it would reflect something, it would reflect Jesus. He puts substance that we can understand to the Father. John even said our hands have handled Him. Because He loved us so. He did that. He let go of that glory. Just let it go. To be born in a stable. To be born is an incredible condescension, anyway. For God to become man was a great step down. But he didn't come into some palace, some opulent lifestyle, luxury. He would have deserved better than he could have been given, but he didn't do that. Because folks who would trust in him at some point, they would not be the upper crust all the time. They would be the lowest of the low. And if the lowest of the low are going to have a great high priest who can understand their situation, he had to go through what he did. Because he loved. And now so must we. It needs to be our default setting. I've been with you a long time. You still don't know me. The writer of Hebrews talked about folks like me who are dull of hearing and that have need that one teach you again, teach me again of the first principles of the oracles of God and have become as such of those who need milk and not strong meat. Whoever has seen me, not with the sight of the eyes so much, but with the understanding of the mind and of the heart, has seen the Father. I'm afraid that for years when I would think about God, the Father, my mind would conjure up images of Old Testament judgment. That angry God. Who did not suffer sinners. And yet, maybe the best picture we have of the God the Father in all of Scripture, maybe the best picture. I don't know, because I'm finding out I really don't know anything at all. But the best picture that I like is the prodigal's father. The prodigal. He behaved badly. And yet when he came to himself and he said, What am I doing here? The hired servants in my father's house have it better than I have. I will go back to him. And it turns out that he probably didn't know it, but his father was looking for him every day. And when he saw him, Picture a dignified, elderly, maybe Jewish gentleman, but he throws whatever comportment and dignity he may have had away and girded up his loins and ran to embrace his wayward son and to kiss him and to rejoice. That's our father. joy in heaven over the repentance of a sinner that's our father that's our savior that's him the perfections of Jesus visible to the world for the time he was with us are perfections of his father as well and ought to be in some echo or unworthy imitation visible in his children as well given the fact that we are to love one another just as he has loved us. Let love be the default setting. And I hesitate to say the words in closing. Preachers sometimes say that and they don't really mean it. I thought we were closing. It was 25 minutes ago. But in closing, he leaves them in verse 10. He leaves them this little thought. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father who dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. And then verse 11. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. It is striking to note that this argument and that Jesus uses here is very similar to the one he used with his enemies. You know what, folks? Sometimes we line up with his enemies. So much so that you really can't tell the difference. And it's because we've forgotten to love one another like he loved us. Listen, if you can't receive the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh, believe him for the work's sake. Believe for the things that you've seen. The elite of Judaism saw the things that he did and he said, you know what, he's doing all this because he's the prince of devils. Peter's great moment there in the, uh, Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed. Blessed art thou. Blessed, that word that apparently no one English word does uh, justice to. Blessed are you. You you didn't learn that on your own. You know that because my Father revealed that to you. And then, listen, i I've got to go up and be delivered unto the authorities and They're going to kill me. No. Peter said, no. I'm on a roll now. Don't stop me now. You know, I just got this blessed. This is not going to happen to you. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He went from blessed to adversary just like that. We may wake up and find ourselves on the wrong side of an issue. And if we ever do, remember love, defer to love, may love be our default position. It may grieve you to know. That we need each other. There's a reason for the assembly. There's a reason we are to come together. Because we need each other. We may not always see it. We may not always feel it. But we need each other. Don't forget that we need each other and that we need to defer to love. Thank you, folks, for your time and attention. May the Lord be pleased to add his blessings to the reading of his word.